0: Showtime! Welcome to the show, folks. Tonight, folks, the Chairman of the Board of Conspiracy Authors and Researchers. Jim Mars, our guest tonight. The Jim Mars is joining us tonight. Now, if you'll notice over my shoulder, there's an empty space here on my library bookshelf. The reason for that is that space is reserved for all my Jim Mars books, and they're stacked up on this table right now. And we're going to be getting to all these folks in just a second. Um, Let me tell you a little bit about Jim Mars. Now, Jim Mars, of course, is a renowned researcher. His book, JFK, uh, sorry, his book, Crossfire, uh, was handed to Oliver Stone by somebody reading it. Handed it to Oliver Stone in an elevator. Oliver Stone took the book and turned it into the movie JFK. Yeah. This is the chairman of the board, folks. I'm not kidding when I'm telling you this. His book, Alien Agenda, the best-selling book of um, UFOs ever. Uh, Without question, a book you should all run out and get. Rule by Secrecy, another best-seller. Rise of the Fourth Reich, another best-seller. Um, Above Top Secret, and you know what? I'm going to stop right there and stop at his latest book. It's called The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy. Now, before we get going, I just want to hook y'all to stay with the show because this is going to bring it right home to us. As you know, we're broadcasting out of Kingston, Ontario right now, a stone's throw from where we are. It's a place called Belleville, Ontario. Let me read this. One hundred million mosquitoes a month were bred at the Dominion Parasite Laboratory in Belleville, Ontario. Gets better. From there, the mosquitoes were tested by both Canadian and US military authorities after being infected with bruci- brucellosis. Some observers believe the 1999 outbreak of human encephalitis in New York City. Due to what was design- designated West Nile virus, may have been the result of those infected mosquitoes. Bring it at home tonight, folks. Belleville, Ontario, right here in Canada, not a stone's throw from Kingston, Ontario. Don't go anywhere, get in your comfy chair, get the tea going, get the coffee going. If you're driving across the country, listening on the radio, ease off the gas pedal folks we're going to take you on an incredible journey tonight with none other than the chairman of the board jim mars strap in hang on here we go
1: there is a time to question there is a time for answers
0: There is a time to challenge, there is a time to speculate, there is a time for change, there is a time for truth, the time is now. Welcome to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio.
1: now your host, Brent Holland.
0: Welcome, one and all. I'm Brent Holland. Welcome to Night Fright. Tonight, folks, the chairman of the board, Jim Mars, is here. He's joining us. We're going to be talking about all things conspiratorial. Um, I'm going to jump to Jim right away after that lengthy intro. Jim,
1: welcome. How are you, my friend? All the way from Texas, folks escape thank you Brett thank you but I've got to throwing another unabashed uh, plug commercial plug here is if it'll come up the Terra conspiracy revisited oh. okay this this is my book it just came out it's been out just within the past week it is the I call it the definitive account of 9/11. Until there's an honest investigation. Until there's honest... <laughs> well, let's, let's go there hey, right because, now, then. Hey, I didn't have subpoena powers, okay? So I've had to go from open source material. But this is my 2006 book, The Terror Conspiracy, uh, which was 400 pages. It's now 600 pages. And I guarantee you, if you read this and still look at me and tell me with a straight face that you believe the official 9-11 story, then there's something wrong with your uh, computer up there.
0: (laughs) Okay, folks, Jim Mars, we're going to jump to that in just a second. (laughs) But I want to start off, Jim, um, a little bit of the history of Jim Mars. Now, uh, you know, you were born, uh, obviously. (laughs) You grew up in Texas. Yeah, I was born at a very young age. (laughs) To so my there's an old joke, I think it's a Marx Brothers joke. to my embarrassment, I was born in bed with a woman. I think it's Marx Brothers, anyways, folks. I <laughs> can have some fun tonight.
1: it's Jim Marx well, what Jim I like is board. you're born naked, bloody, and screaming, and then it gets worse, and then it gets worse. <laughs>
0: Should I tell my musician jokes now? No, I better not. We better be no, no, no. We'll let's, get to the show along.
1: Moving right along here.
0: I want to jump to 9-11 after, no question. I wasn't exactly. aware you had a new book out. But let's talk about Jim Mars. Of what got you into researching? Um, what got you into writing? There's a lot of folks listening right now that are
1: budding writers. Was there something
0: specific okay. that triggered you to go into that direction, Jim?
1: Well, I think it was a combination of things. First off, I've always had a very curious uh, and insatiable thirst for knowledge. I want to, you know, why is it that way? What's that? Well, what does it do? Well, where did it came from? You know, how does it work? I've always wanted to know, well, what's going on? And just from a curiosity standpoint, I do not consider myself a a uh, anarchist or a political rabble rouser or a uh, you know some kind of crusader I, I just wanna know what's going on and so then that dovetailed with my I got a very very classic education public education in in Texas believe it or not but this is back in the old republic when we actually had a serious education system uh, for example in high school I was required to take a course in Latin Okay. And I remember at the time I thought, well, this is ridiculous. Why do I want to learn this dead language? But uh, I don't have to tell you, Brent, it has, I am so glad I had to do that because now if I hit a scientific term or a medical term, chances are I can work my way through it and understand it because I can read, which means I can educate myself. So to anyone who's aspiring to be a writer, uh, number one, uh, rev up your curiosity quotient and two, learn English, okay? Because one of the things I've learned, and I used to argue this as a young reporter, they'd say, well, you misspell this word, or this is not exactly the correct usage. I go, oh, so what? You know, as long as you can understand what I'm trying to say, you know, communication's the name of the game. But Brent, let me tell you, in the course of my career, I have found that there are people out there, a goodly number of people, that if you misspell a name, if you put a wrong date in for a historical event, if you can't write in proper English, they turn you off. That's awesome. it. Bingo. You know, they'll they'll throw out everything else you said because you misspell one word. <laughs> so you have got to be precise. Then I got into journalism, and so on top of proper English, now you got to make sure you got your facts straight. Let's talk about that because so many
0: people, what I call in the copy-paste generation, um, you go onto blogs, and all they've done is gone to another blog and just copy and pasted, uh, changed a few words, and now they're calling it original research, original material. By the way, folks, our guest tonight's the chairman of the board, folks, in the conspiracy author research realm. He, his name is Jim Mars. You're going to recognize that face, of course. He's got a new book out, which is called Jim. I should have wrote it down before, my friend. The Terror Conspiracy Revisited. The Terror Conspiracy Revisited, and you're going to be looking, by the time this is up and edited, there's going to be a picture right here, folks, of the book www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on tonight's guest book cover. That'll take you right to a place. You can order the book right online, as well as Jim's other books. And I'm going to hold them up real quick. The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy. I'm going to go real fast. Above Top Secret. The Rise of the Fourth Reich. Rule by Secrecy. (laughs) Alien Agenda. Crossfire. uh, The Sisterhood of the Rose. And so many more, folks www.nightfrightshow.com just click on all the book covers the terror conspiracy we're going to be getting into 9-11 i'm going to talk some more about when i opened up the show i talked about belleville and the the, uh, creation of uh, thousands of mosquitoes and perhaps that led to west nile virus we'll talk about that coming up also i want you to stick around for that um When I was in in university, as well as school, I was taught to think for myself. And I find the big difference that I've noticed in universities now, because I travel right across, is the fact that there seems to be an agenda uh, in place in our educational system. And that agenda is just spoon-feeding, regurgitating, I think is a better word, propaganda. It doesn't right. allow Absolutely. the person to analyze and think for themselves. Can you speak right. to that a little bit, Jim?
1: Absolutely. Critical thinking is being weeded out of the education system. If you read my book, Rule by Secrecy, or read my book, uh, Rise of the Fourth Reich, and read uh, one of my latest ones, The uh, Trillion Dollar Conspiracy, uh, I deal with education. And you find that in the United States, for example, uh, the it goes back to the General Education Board, which was created by John D. Rockefeller back at the turn of the last century. And John D. Rockefeller has been quoted as saying he didn't want a nation of thinkers, he wants a nation of workers. So they're now educating people to follow orders, stay in their place, stay in your cubbyhole, do what you're told, don't question things, and for God's sake, don't think for yourself. And that is really, that's anathema to the way I was brought up back in the days of the old republic. But I ran into this pretty quick. I can remember in college back in the 60s, I was given a history test and it said, what do you think are the three leading causes of World War II? Well, I wrote it all, a nice little treatise there, and I got back, it said F. And I said, what's the problem? He said, well, you know, it's and this and that, and it dawned on me and it became very clear. He didn't want to know what I thought it was the three leading causes he wanted to know what he had told me were the three leading causes okay so i began to see that education was being geared towards recitation memorization and uh well for example i'll tell you another thing this is a kind of a addendum to to that uh, issue brent is that when i was back in grade school and even high school if you were a little bit out of sync with the rest of the kids, but you were bright and personable. And, uh, you know, you were looked at as a rugged individualist. And you were kind of looked up to, you know. That's, hey, this guy marches to a different drummer. You know, that's good. Uh Uh-uh. Today, oh, he's a misfit. Uh, You know, he's probably antisocial. Probably needs to put him on psychotropic drugs, you know. Attention deficit. It's a whole attention deficit disorder absolutely and on and people on and claim, people claim i have attention deficit oh but look a bird oh but oh no but not me not me <laughs> jim morris folks <laughs> we're gonna have a blast and settle
0: in your comfy chair uh lots of time left we've just getting going and he is the chairman of the board as i said before oliver stone was handed his book crossfire which i'm going to hold up right now in in of all things uh an elevator and turned it into the movie jfk his research is impeccable um his integrity is uncompromising. He is the chairman of the board, Com. He's got a new book out called The Terror Conspiracy, which you're going to want to get for sure and add it to your collection of Jim Mars' books. As I said before, there's a big hole in my library shelf right now, and that's because I've got all his books right here. Um, Jim, let's talk a little bit more about... What got you going with Crossfire? Where were you November 22nd, 1963?
1: JFK assassination, by the way, folks. And that occurred uh, at 12.30 p.m. Uh, right afternoon, right? Yep. I, w- I was asleep in bed. <laughs> so it wasn't you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I stole no. that joke from Bob Groden, Robert Groden. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's, that's the one person I know for certain who was not involved. It was me. Uh, I had I was in the university on a degree for journalism at the uh, University of North Texas, which is just about 30 miles north of Dallas. Uh, I was born in, and raised in Fort Worth. And then when I got to Denton, and then also all the way back to high school, Dallas was the party place. You go to Dallas. to. In fact, I have a picture of me dancing on the stage of Jack Ruby's Carousel Club that was taken at the end of September or early October 1963, about a month or so before the Kennedy assassination. I met Jack Ruby, okay? So, and uh, I have spent a lot of time later after the assassination. I spent time with Marguerite Oswald, and I have interviewed his wife, Marina. And I was also got to be pretty close friends with Jean de Shield, the de Marinschild, She and her husband, George, were the last known close friends of Lee Harvey Oswald. Plus, is my time as a professional journalist, newspaper reporter, I came into contact with a lot of the Dallas Civic and police and county officials, city officials. So, I mean, it was right there in my backyard. But back to that day, I had, I believe, an English test on that Friday uh, at like, 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock, I think I had 9 o'clock class, and I had crammed the night before and stayed up almost all night, you know, trying to get ready for this English test. I went and took the test, came back to my apartment, and just fell in the bed, went to sleep, you know, I don't know, about 11, 11.30, and I was asleep, and my roommate ran in and said, hey, wake up, said, uh, they shot Kennedy and I said good rolled over went back to sleep because I was of the Texas redneck mentality at that time I liked Jack Kennedy I thought he had a beautiful family I didn't have anything against him personally but I was brought up in the Southern Baptist Church and we had been told that if he got elected the Pope was gonna run the country and that he was liberal okay and blah 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 so I was not particularly in tune with his politics But then my roommate said, no, I'm serious. There were shots fired in the motorcade. And I said, what? I said, holy cow. So I jumped up, ran in. We had an early day television that was a cabinet model that was you know about chest high, about that wide, come down. But the little screen on it was only about that big. And it was monochrome, of course, just black and white. But we had gotten it cheap. And we were broke college students, right? So we turned that thing on, and I know that I had been watching television for about 15 minutes, maybe even longer, before they finally came on and said, okay, it's official. They've announced from Parkland Hospital that the president is dead. Well, I know that that happened uh, just a few minutes after 1 p.m., so that means I was watching television probably less than 15 minutes after the assassination, and so I've been on it from the get go. What was it about the assassination? Was there
0: something that uh, triggered your, you know, you obviously have an aptitude towards questioning things and as you stated before, why, 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 why? And I think this is the foundation of what makes a great researcher and this is the foundation of what makes you a great researcher. What was it about the Kennedy assassination? I know my parents when a few days later Jack Ruby, you mentioned before, killed Oswald, and it was found out he had mafioso connections. Everybody right. kind of went, "Whoa. Was it that for you, or was it before that or:
1: It was that weekend, okay? That whole weekend. Um, at, the, uh, at the moment where they, you know, within an, a couple of hours, they were saying they had caught a fellow, Lee Harvey Oswald, and they said, "We think he did it." In fact, actually, they were saying he did it. There was no uh, pres- presumption of innocence. He, he Here he is, we got him, he did it. And that, you know, I thought, boy, that's quick police work. And they found a guy out in a theater. How'd they know he did it, you know? But then they found the rifle and they, after a while, they said they could trace it to his post office box. Okay, all right, I'm accepting that. But I think the thing started for me that very afternoon because uh, this is gonna be amazing to young people today but at the time of the Kennedy assassination, every radio station, every TV station was preempted. That's all they talked about. You couldn't turn and listen to music. You couldn't turn. On 9-11, I remember, uh, you could kick over to the cartoon channel. You could watch cartoons. You didn't have to watch what was happening on 9-11. But at that weekend, if you turn on any media, newspapers, radio, TV, it was nothing but filled with the assassination information. And I was watching the TV the whole afternoon. They had people on that had been witnesses in Dealey Plaza. And since then, I've talked to maybe 100 people or more who were there at the time, including former House Speaker Jim Wright, who was a friend of mine. And they all said the same thing, said there was a shot, a pause, two shots right on top of each other. A bang, bang, bang. Well, even at that time, I'm a Texas boy, i had been deer hunting. I even had some bolt-action rifles, and I knew you don't get a bang-bang with a bolt-action rifle. You have to cock the bolt. You have to regain your side picture. You got to pull the trigger, cock the bolt again. It goes bang, bang. That's the best you can get. And uh, so I I thought at that time, I thought, well, that's odd. How do you get a bang-bang if there's only one guy shooting a bolt-action rifle? But again, I wasn't, you know, I was going right along with it because we had all been thoroughly conditioned. This was in the the very close aftermath of World War II. And, you know, the president was the, you know, in charge, commander in chief, and we're all American citizens and we all fall in line and we're all good patriots and we don't question this, you know. But then Sunday came and... Uh, I'm sitting there watching television and while they're going to transfer Oswald, and Jack Ruby steps out in the basement of the police station with all these cops standing around, and Oswald handcuffs Spread Eagle with his hands out on both sides to these cops and shoots him in the gut, you know? And I'm going, wait a minute. And then they try to say that Jack Ruby didn't have any connection to anybody. That was at the time. But I knew better then because I was in a fraternity in the university and I had been told by my older fraternity brothers, they say, I'm not a big gambler. I didn't really pay much attention, but I'm listening. And they said to me and others, if you want to get in a high stakes poker game, go to Dallas and look up Jack Ruby said, but be careful. He's connected to the underworld. Okay. now this is going to sound amazing to you, but it's true. In 1963 in Texas. We'd never heard of the Mafia. We didn't know something like the Mafia existed. But we knew about the underworld, and we knew there were gangsters, and we knew there were criminal gangs, but the term Mafia, we'd never heard that. Just like most people, now I had heard this, but most people at that time had never even heard of the CIA. Okay? And they couldn't have told you what it was. Now, I was a journalism student. I was a little bit more up on things. I knew what the CIA was, but still, I, it was vague. It was like today, you asked somebody about the NSA, the National Security Agency. What do they know about the NSA? Unless they've taken the trouble to investigate and study, they don't have any idea what the NSA is all about. Well, that was how it was about the CIA. So right off the bat, I knew something's wrong, fishy about this shooting, because you can't get a bang-bang for the bullet-action rifle. How does one lone nut get in the bottom basement of the police station and shoot a lone nut, you know? And why are they telling us that Jack Ruby's not connected to anybody where everybody I know, even my fraternity brother, said he's connected to organized crime or the underworld? So, yes, I began to accumulate newspapers, including the Campus Paper, the Dallas Papers, Fort Worth Papers. I've still got all those original newspapers. And when the Warren Commission uh, report came out, I was... Like an idiot, I was one of the few people who actually read it, and then when I read it, uh, and then when the 26 volumes, the company volumes came out, I started going through there. And what I found out real fast was that the report would say one thing, but when I'd go back in the volumes and check the testimony and check the documents, sometimes it was the exact opposite of what they said in the report. So I was real fishy about the report too. Folks, Jim Mars. You know, uh, as I said before,
0: there's a reason why he's the chairman of the board. We've been talking about um, the JFK assassination. Obviously, folks for you that are joining us that are unaware what the Warren Commission was, that was the commission, just like the 9-11 Commission, was set up just after the John Kennedy assassination to investigate the assassination. What their conclusion was was a crock of... um, well, cow dung, if you will. They said that it was one lone nut assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald. The book, of course, was Crossfire. This was the book that was handed to Oliver Stone by a person reading it, a fan of Jim's,
1: handed it to Oliver Stone in an elevator. Oliver Stone had read it? That, please That sir. fella hit that fella had been a CIA station chief. Is that right? I didn't it's know John that. Sto- John John Stockwell. I had no idea, Jim. This is you bringing something. So it to wasn't it wasn't just some guy off the street. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he had already he had already been hired by uh Oliver Stone to uh help him research all of the information about the assassination. And when John Stockwell uh, read my book Crossfire, he took it to Oliver Stone. He said, "Hey, everything you needs right in here." <laughs>
0: www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on tonight's guest book cover. That'll take you right to a place. You can order his new book online, which is called The Terror Conspiracy 9-11, of course. We're going to get into that in just a few seconds. As well, at the outset of the show, I was talking about a conspiracy that involves some mosquitoes that may have been injected with the West Nile virus. from Belleville, Ontario, which the Canadian military and American military were involved with, we're going to get to that as well. Jim, uh, I just wanted to let you know I had the wonderful opportunity to meet and sit with Ted Sorensen just prior to his death last October. Uh, I can't tell you, I'm getting goosebumps. Um, the stature of this man, the integrity, the honor. Uh, I, I've spoke to Canadian prime ministers, uh, speakers of the House, of Canada. All kinds of wonderful people. And they are truly wonderful people. There was something unique and special about Ted Sorensen. And I just want to uh, tell folks, when Jim mentioned before about the whole Catholic thing, because President Kennedy was a Catholic, um, Ted was telling me, Jim, that uh, they had a heck of a time because they thought somehow the Pope could use mind control, telepathy to control the President (laughs) of the United States this was the mentality of some of the folks back then Um, so there you go Um, Jim, you went through the Cuban Missile Crisis Uh, Ted Sorensen, by the way, folks, was the guy that was uh, tasked by JFK to write that letter to Khrushchev to get him to pull the missiles out. What was that like for you? Here's a little bit of living history, folks. I want to get this on on tape for you.
1: Oh, um, well, let me tell you, folks, that was scarier than 9-11. Yeah, that's what Ted said. Because 9-11, there were people killed, and there were explosions, and there were buildings coming down. But it was all pretty much centered in New York. And even though there was some thought as to maybe the whole country's under attack, you know, it wasn't, I don't think anybody actually got the idea that, you know, everybody and everybody, everything was going to be destroyed. But I can remember um, standing in the dorm, uh, the dormitory uh, in 62, uh, with a lot of college kids watching the TV as those Russian ships approached the line that had been drawn in the sea by Kennedy, and he said, if you cross this line, we're going to board your ships. And we knew if they boarded the ships, the Russians would fight back. It would escalate. We would go into thermonuclear war, (laughs) and the entire planet could be obliterated. I mean, it was pretty spooky. Well, let me ask you this
0: right away then,
1: Jim. Um, You believe,
0: uh, and your research shows it, that 9-11 was a false flag operation. Right. Do you think the Cuban Missile Crisis could have fallen into that category as well?
1: Uh, To a certain extent, yes, but it was not a totally fabricated event. It was a real event. But Khrushchev later wrote that he really never expected to keep those missiles in Cuba. Uh, What he was seeking was a concession from the United States, which he got, which was the deal worked out between him and Kennedy was that he would turn around and withdraw the, the intermediate-range missiles from Cuba, which were, had enough range to reach probably the southeastern United States and well into the Midwest, uh, in exchange for us removing our offensive missiles from Turkey, which is right on the southern border of Russia, and also pledging that we would never again try to invade Cuba or support a military invasion of Cuba which, if you think back, has not happened. So it was it was a set-up deal by, the, by Khrushchev to get these concessions out of the United States, and it worked, but, boy, at the time, of course, nobody was really aware of all this, and it looked like that they were just, you know, had cocked guns pointing at our heads.
0: Yeah, people don't realize... Um... You know today that's why it's important to get folks like you to talk about it and tell the the students today that are listening um, exactly what was going on in those times now, as an extension of that then Jim, do you think the missiles because uh, I understand there was never any proof of the missiles being removed uh, Castro wouldn't let the u n inspectors in. Do you think the missiles may be still there?
1: Um, I think that's a possibility um. Uh... But then again, our our military base is still on Cuba, Guantanamo. That's true. Okay, so I mean, there there's there's ways to view it. The point is, though, is that I have never seen if the if there are any missiles remaining in Cuba, they're buried under a mountain or under hill somewhere because. I have never seen any credible information. I've heard a lot of people suggest that they're still there, but I've never seen any credible information to prove that they're still sitting there on launching pads or that they can be brought out or any pictures of them on trucks. Uh, And as I say, even Khrushchev later admitted this was a ploy to get these concessions out of the United States, so as far as I'm concerned, and the main fact is, is that even though there's been lots of provocations, they've never dragged them out and threatened them with us, so uh, for my part, I think that they were withdrawn, or at least certainly put in deep six. You're
0: listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now,
1: and now your host, Brent Holland.
0: Lots of time left, folks. We're just past the halfway point. Um not quite. Uh, We're going to be talking about 9-11 now in his new book, The Terror Conspiracy Revisited. But also, I want to tell you at the beginning of the show, I had talked about mosquitoes that were, I was going to say manufactured, that were bred in Belleville, Ontario, that may have been injected in 1999 with the West Nile virus. And there's some Canadian researchers, uh, Professor Donald Scott, who's been on this show, fans of uh, this show will remember Donald when we were in broadcasting from Sudbury Ontario. We're now broadcasting from Kingston. Was on the show and he talked at great length about that. But I want to revisit that story before we head to 9/11. Is that okay with you, Jim? And just uh, talk about it a little bit, just to let people know that um, Belleville, Ontario, was uh, not as peaceful as people think.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that gets into the mycoplasma attack. This is how that we took uh, uh, germ biological warfare. Uh, weapons pathogens that had initially been developed by the Nazis and then of course we know they brought all the rocket scientists over here but what is not as well known is that we brought their mind control experts, their propaganda experts, their weapons experts and their biological warfare people over here and at Fort Detrick and at uh, other places Plum Island that they were continuing to work on these bio weapons and as you I uh, have already mentioned, uh, they in Cana- and sometimes in connection with the Canadian authorities. And so they were working on this uh, West Nile flu thing to see if they could weaponize it. Uh, but what's really scary is is that they were working on this mycoplasma, which is a mutated protein and, uh, with, uh, with hardly a cell wall. And uh, it is not a bacteria and it is not a virus, but it can trigger both. In fact, it triggers a lot of things, particularly uh, in neurological d- diseases and ailments to the body. And they were able to crystallize it and turn it into a bio-weapon, which in the mid-'80s, they sold to Saddam Hussein. Okay, And he used it, I'm sure, on the Kurds and some of his enemies. And then he used it on, on the Allied people uh, during the first Gulf War. And, of course, that, that mycoplasma attack... Coupled with the bad air because of the burning oil fires and everything, and coupled with the depleted uranium that was left from these uh, artillery shells uh, that were laying all over the place and still are in in increasing numbers. um, This is what caused what came to be known as uh, Gulf War Syndrome. And if you'll think back, for about 10 years, they said, oh, well, there's that, that no such thing. That doesn't exist. It's just in their heads, okay? Well, they brought it back, and now it's passed into their families and into their neighborhoods and into the cities, and it's uh, several medical authorities have estimated perhaps the entire population of the United States, and I'm sure a goodly percentage, if not all of Canada, is probably also now infected with this mycoplasma, which don't go running off screaming into the night, if your immunization system is sufficient and up to par, it could probably deal with it, and you're probably okay. But if your immunization system gets compromised, then it, this thing can then uh, initiate various weird diseases that Brent, you and I never heard about 20 years ago. Fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, osteo. Pariasis or whatever, I mean, just on and on. And, of course, up until very recently, you go to the doctor and you say, I just feel like hell, I don't know what's going on. And he checks you. He can't find a virus. He can't find a bacteria. So he says, well, it's in your mind, just like they said about Gulf War Syndrome. Okay? They,
0: ju- they just like to sweep it under the floor until the next
1: well, they don't know what it is, so they and they, they're, they're like the cop who stops you. He will never, ever, under any circumstances, say, oh, gee, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, going your way. No, he's got, he's got to still assert his authority and say, no, no, that's, well, you were traveling a little too fast, or uh, you were looking the wrong way as you turned, or, you know, something. they got to find something. And the doctor, likewise, cannot say, gee, I don't know what that is, because then they lose some of their godlike, Let's go to 9-11. You know, just several weeks
0: ago now, uh, the 10-year anniversary of uh, 9-11 folks took place, and um, I remember where I was, of course, on that day. Uh, I was in bed as well, and I received a phone call from a frantic friend asking me... uh, to turn on the television because she said it was the end of the world, and I turned it on, Uh, and at that point, uh, the airplanes had already crashed into the Twin Towers, Um, they hadn't fallen yet, they were asking folks to go down and give blood because I was in Montreal at the time, and given the close proximity, New York to Montreal, they were planning on bringing survivors, don't forget, they were saying upwards of 50,000 casualties, 50,000 casualties, So we all went down to give blood. All I have to say is that was an intro for Jim. Um,
1: What have you found out about 9-11? Okay, well, listen to this. I'm not asking for anybody's belief, and I can't tell you precisely this happened, this happened, this happened. The only thing I can tell you for absolute certain is we have not been told the truth about 9-11. But don't trust me. Don't believe me. I have here... uh, the book written by John Farmer, who was a former Attorney General of New Jersey, and was the senior counsel of the official George W. Bush handpicked 9/11 Commission. All right, on page two, two of his book, he writes and says that in the course of our investigation into the national response to the attacks, the 9/11 Commission staff discovered that. The official version of what had occurred that morning, that is what government military officials had told Congress, the commission, the media, and the public about who knew what and when, was almost entirely and inexplicably untrue. So if the chief lawyer of the 9-11 commission says that the story we gave you is almost entirely and inexplicably untrue, ...then I simply pose the question, am I unpatriotic? Am I a nut? Am I some kind of conspiracy theorist for wanting to know what is the truth? Precisely. And And if you're reading my book, The Terror Conspiracy Revealed, you're going to find a lot of things that you have not been told. You're going to find out that more than a dozen countries were trying to warn us we were about to be attacked. You're going to read about the Neocon Think Tank, Project for a New American Century that a year before had said, we want to increase military presence in the Middle East by the U.S., we want to have a regime change in Iraq, and we want to invade Afghanistan. But this is going to be a hard sell to the public unless there is a, quote, catalyzing and catastrophic event like a new Pearl Harbor, end quote. A year later, they got it. The CIA, FBI, people within these agencies were trying to tell people what was going on. And yet not only were they not listened to, but actions were taken both in the Clinton administration and the early Bush administration to uh, block any meaningful investigation into what had happened. There's a wonderful uh, story
0: about John O'Neill. John O'Neill, he's in there. Okay, so there you go, folks. It's called the uh, the Terror Conspiracy Revisited. Triple W Nightfright Show dot com. Our guest tonight, uh, of course, is uh, none other than Jim Mars. He is the chairman of the board, folks. Research uh, community. Um, he- Books, Alien Agenda, one of the best sellers in the whole world on this subject matter. The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy, which is apropos for right now as we go through another crunch crisis. Uh, Above Top Secret, the rise of uh, the Fourth Reich, uh, ruled by secrecy. And, of course, Crossfire, which was the basis for Oliver Stone's JFK. Let's go back to 9-11, Jim, if you don't mind. Um, Now... You know, there's there's lots of stories about how uh, people feel that there was drones sent in to the um, to the actual towers. Do you, do you believe that, or do you think that uh, those
1: people indeed die did die on those airplanes? I'm sorry. Well, I'm having I got distracted here because you got dropped off there for a minute. Uh, now uh, you're back. Okay. I think we had internet problems. Also, the the I am not. I don't operate in the dark, normally. Uh, The problem here is the sun's going down. Okay, no problem. So so I was getting darker and darker, and I was trying to get a little bit of light going. So I'm a little darker now, but I'm still here. And you Okay, now, repeat your question, please. Okay. There's many folks that believe there were drones sent
0: into the Twin Towers. Are you in that camp, or do you believe that those uh, poor people actually died? that day, 9-11, uh, in the airplanes that went into
1: the Twin Towers? Well, <clears throat> that gets complicated. For one thing, uh, it is nearly impossible to, for me to believe that uh, four separate groups of hijackers were able to hijack four separate aircraft at four separate times from four separate locations, and yet... Accomplish this all at the same time, and even more suspiciously, to turn off those four transponders all at approximately the same time. Okay? And it's also difficult for me to believe, having been an aviation aerospace writer and uh, a pilot myself, almost. <laughs> I lacked solo. And uh, I have a lot of friends who are commercial pilots, and they say, you know, picture Honey Hanjor. He takes over a plane. He's hundreds of miles from Washington, D.C. A few uh, weeks before, they would not even allow him to rent a Cessna uh, aircraft because he obviously didn't know flight or how to fly it. And yet, somehow, he's able to find his way to Washington, D.C., come in at full throttle, uh, right on the deck, after making a 180 degree spiraling, curving turn. Uh, Airplane pilots, commercial pilots, people have been flying 40, 50 years. They say, I couldn't even do that. You know, it's ridiculous. So wait a minute. Well, then how could that happen? Also, um, uh, people who have, you can read all this in my book. People who, uh, Wittenberg, who has actually flown some of the actual aircraft that were supposedly in use on 9-11 says they exceeded their design speeds. Okay. And characteristics. You can't do that. The onboard computer won't let you, um, go over the design speeds and and turns maneuvers but if you capture the onboard computer take it over and guide it remotely then you can exceed exceed the design speeds now can you do that well heck yeah in the summer of 2000 a boeing 737 took off from an edwards air force base flew all the way to australia flew 12 missions and then flew back and landed safely at Edwards and all the time with no one on board. No one on board. It's called Global Hawk Technology. Now it, now you can see it, now everybody knows about it. Uh, I was in the movies not long back and they had a ad for the Air Force. And it's like, hey, sit at the console and guide our drones in, you know? And, and you know, some kid can sit there and bomb villages halfway across the world because of remote drone aircraft. Today, it's accepted. We know that. But in 2001, the majority of the public really did not know about Global Hawk technology. And yet, actually, it was off the shelf and had been in effect for many years. Back in the late 80s, I was interviewing an airline pilot, and he mouthed off and said, you know, my job is just redundant. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, the computer flies the aircraft. I'm just there in case the computer breaks down. And that's true. And if you can capture the computer, if you can override the signals, like stepping on a CB radio, then you can capture the aircraft uh, remotely and fly it remotely anywhere you want to go, regardless of what the hijackers or the flight crew wants to do. It's it's accessible technology. So I can't say with any certainty that that's what happened on 9-11, but it fits the known evidence, and the technology was available. Of course, that immediately opens the question, well, then, wait a minute. If they, you know, if they swapped aircraft, if those were not even the real aircraft, and there is a lot of confusion about who boarded what, where, when, okay? And again, harking back to John Farmer, he said they did not tell us the truth, you know? Then then we come to Operation Northwoods. Which was a plan approved by the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff in 1962 to uh, set off bombs, cities, target American citizens for assassination, hijack planes and ships, blame it all on Fidel Castro. Okay, one of their plans was to take a regularly scheduled uh, commercial airliner and then uh, bring it, force it to land, send up a similar plane, painted up to resemble the uh, commercial airliner, fly it out by remote control over the Caribbean, by remote control triggering an onboard tape recorder that would send out a radio message saying, we've been attacked by Cuban jets, and then by remote control triggering a bomb on board and blowing the thing up over the Caribbean and blaming it all on Castro. That was 1962. That's a true okay. fact
0: story. Uh, that's a true story, that's folks. Look it true up. True
1: story. Yep. Yeah. And the only and this was approved by the Joint Chiefs of Staff. It was President John F. Kennedy, who said, "We don't play that game. We're not going to do anything like that." And he told them to destroy all the plans of uh, Project Northwoods. Ironically enough, typical government, one set of plans got stashed away back in a filing cabinet somewhere, and who found it? the uh, Assassinations Record Review Board that was created by Congress in the wake of the Oliver Stone movie to go and search government files for anything pertaining to the Kennedy assassination or what was going on at that time, and they found the Operation Northwoods documents. How's that for irony? And
0: the reason for that, folks, is because it was always felt that uh, the American military wanted to go back into Cuba to have their war, um, You know, the the whole industrial, military industrial complex. And I'm going to reiterate something Ted Sorensen told me. I asked Ted straight out during the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, Jim, if there was any chance of a coup occurring. And he said, certainly they were concerned. Now, if I read between the lines, um, yeah, I mean, that was like a pregnant pause when he told me that. And I just sort of went, So I'm wondering if those same, not the same guys, because obviously they're dead now, but if that same same
1: mentality. Bingo. That's what I was getting at. Same mentality. yeah. And by the way, to to buttress buttress that, you realize that John F. Kennedy, one of his favorite movies, and that he actually kind of had a little hand in, was Seven Days in May. And Ted mentioned that to me too. Which was a, a story about a military... Coup in the United States. Yep, yeah, yeah, and of course Eisenhower warned us in his farewell address, you know, to be watchful and be concerned about the uh, the gaining of power, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. And today, look at all the money that's going into defense and anti-terrorism. It's uh, you know, and you can't even say anything about it. We just got through the summer having big arguments over about. Uh, raising the debt ceiling because we're so far in debt. And they talked about cutting Social Security and cutting Medicare, cutting back on human services. Where did anybody talk about, let's cut back on the war. Let's quit invading other countries and bombing other countries. Oh, you can't say anything about that. You know, because the military industrial complex, and you, you can add to that, the military industrial intelligence complex runs the country. Do you feel
0: that the invasion of Iraq uh, and and what's taken place there, and perhaps Afghanistan as well, has any part at all in the current Arab Spring, what's being uh, called the Arab Spring, Jim? Or do you think it's just coincidence? (laughs) it's It's
1: not coincidence. Uh, you know this again comes back to the Neocon who are closely associated with the Pentagon and the military industrial intelligence complex and they've been wanting to gain control total control over the Middle East oil supplies for a long time and so this is all part of the plan to for to extend uh, US homogeny all the way uh, through the Middle East uh, you know and of course it's good to say it's Arab Spring by the way you notice when the Arabs revolt in Egypt or in Libya, it's Arab Spring and it's young folks seeking liberty and freedom. But when the young folks in Britain riot, well, they're just hooligans. <laughs> you know, they're just they're just out trying to get something for themselves. It's all in the semantics. It's all in the propaganda. That's interesting,
0: interesting. Do you think we're going to go into Iran eventually?
1: That seems to be the centerpiece. Uh, they- They want to so bad that they're biting their lip, okay? But I want to tell you something. Iran is not going to be a pushover like Iraq. Oh, no. And they've got a tremendous military. They've got the backing of the Russians and the Chinese. They've got other people supporting them. And they've already had their years under the Shah, who was more or less a puppet for the United States. Uh, They're going to have a tough time in Iran but that's not going to stop them from trying to keep pushing it and my big concern right now is is that as things continue to deteriorate here in the states they're going to be almost forced to uh, create another false flag attack to get everybody stirred up and back in line and and support the military industrial intelligence complex and you know marching off to war and uh, who's the most likely candidate the we, you know what I see unfortunately would be like maybe a nuclear device goes off in a Midwestern city and they would blame it on Iran false flag again now Jim I I want to
0: get your opinion on some stuff Uh, Obama is he being tied down by the by Congress or is he just not been an honest broker do you feel I had the greatest admiration and hopes for him and uh, You know, I don't know. Uh, oh, you're laughing. Okay, go ahead.
1: <laughs> well, I, you know, nobody listens to me because I'm just a conspiracy theorist. But, you know, back in 2007 when his name first came up, nobody had ever heard of Obama yeah. before about 2007. And then all of a sudden, boom, there he is. Same thing today, by the way, but with Rick Perry. All right up until about a month or two ago, nobody outside of Texas had ever really even heard of him. And now, all of a sudden, he's the frontrunner. Why is he the front runner? Because we're being told he's the front runner. This is psychological warfare, okay? And we were... We, they uh, Barack Hussein Obama is an empty suit. Okay? He is a legend. He was created by the CIA because his mother, they got on to him, I'm sure, early on when his mother was working for the father of Timothy Geithner in Indonesia for the Ford Foundation, a notorious CIA front. And they were fomenting the overthrow of Sukarno. And uh, they undoubtedly found out about young Barry. And here was a young black man who was a Muslim who could speak several languages, pretty bright, very personable. Hey, great. They grabbed him just like they did Bill Clinton uh, to be one of these student uh, uh, infiltrators uh, who poses as one thing and then goes around and, and you know, Bill Clinton went to Moscow and and uh, uh, Obama went to the Middle East, went to these various places, and they've created this whole, his whole background. This is why he refused to release his birth certificate. The one they now have finally come up with is phony. It can be de- demonstrably shown to be phony, and they still haven't released any of his school records because... It was all phony. He was a creation. All right. But the main thing is, he got in on hope and change. If you'll remember, think back, use your head. He said, if I'm elected, first thing I'll do is pull our troops out of Iraq. Well, they're still there. Yeah. And now he keeps moving the deadline for withdrawal back. He has done absolutely nothing that he pledged he was going to do. In fact, he's actually outbushed Bush as far as prosecuting the war. As far as prosecuting whistleblowers, he's prosecuted, the Obama administration has prosecuted more whistleblowers than the Bush administration. And this is the guy who promised transparency in government. It's a joke! Unless you listen to the mainstream TV and then it's, well, the president said this, the president's going to have to be a little concerned about and the president, you know. If you want to go along with the party line then you know everything's on the up and up but it ain't happening folks and besides that first as I heard his name coming up I went to check well okay maybe he's a nice guy I don't know who's behind him his chief advisor was Zygmunt Brzezinski the trilateral commission all right chief advisor for John McCain Henry Kissinger birds of a feather okay so that's you know, they control them both. Uh, the Republican, Democrat, Liberal, Conservative, those are just names that they throw out and keep everybody arguing and fighting with each other. the uh, They control them both. Uh, Jim, um, are we just following a script here
0: where... America, this is America's demise and perhaps the rise of China. Is this a script we're just following, or do you think America can turn it around because of its democracy, its freedom?
1: Uh, It's a script, and this is a plan that's been laid far in advance. You've read rule about secrecy. You know that, uh, you know, see, the United States of America particularly, and, of course, uh, Canada, Australia, I've been to Australia a lot, got a lot of friends, there. a great place and I love Canada, okay. Um, but Canada, Australia are still very closely tied to the UK, UK is run of course by the Bank of England and by the City of London, just like America is run by Wall Street, alright. And they're very closely allied, very closely tied through families, bloodlines, okay. So they are working towards what Hitler called the New World Order. And that was echoed by George Herbert Walker Bush. He said, we're gonna usher in the New World Order. Well, the biggest stumbling block to the New World Order was the United States of America. Why? Because we had a tradition of freedom and liberty, individual freedom, individual liberty. And we had a legal uh, precedent for that Namely, the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights. And thirdly, and not least importantly, we had guns. And we threw off the British Empire, not once, but twice. We went from being a primarily isolationist country to being the preeminent world power militarily, politically, socially, okay, culturally. And uh, we're the problem so they 've got to destroy the United States of america and they 're doing a pretty good job uh, they 've destroyed our maritha okay, sorry my that 's okay
0: we 've got to start to wrap up anyways we 've only got a few seconds left. I just want to thank you for joining us tonight, folks, our guest tonight, of course, the chairman of the board, as i 've said all night of research of the research community and conspiracy authors, uh, Jim Mars, none. Better His uh, research is impeccable. I urge you all to get some of his books, Crossfire, Rule by Secrecy. I'm going to get to your new book in just a second, Jim. The Rise of the Fourth Reich, um, Above Top <laughs> Secret, <laughs> The uh, Trillion Dollar Conspiracy, Alien Agenda. All bestsellers, all terrific books for you to get. www.nightfrightshow.com Just click on tonight's book cover, which is called The Terror Conspiracy Revisited, all about 9-11. I'm Brent Holland from Night Fright, www.nightfrightshow.com Thank you all for joining us. See you next time. Listening to Night Fright and your host, Brent Holland. The time is now. Your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy
1: radio.